0: Hey guys. So if you are ever planning to sell your business one day, even if it seems four or five years away or possibly never, I think it is still important that you think about what you need to put in place to be ready to sell at any point. And today we had a very special guest. I got to interview Corin Woodmats. He is the FBA broker. He has sold more businesses than uh, than anyone I know. And Uh, I got to pick his brain and and basically ask all the questions I could think of, you know, from your guys' shoes. Um, So I think you're going to get a lot of really valuable insights. He gives, you know, biggest mistakes that he sees made, talks about what type of multiples he's seeing in the market these days for, you know, how much you can sell your business for, talks about the different types of brokers, and, you know, sometimes it makes sense to use this type, sometimes that type. So it was a really, really informative, helpful interview, and I hope that you enjoy it. So uh, let's dive in. So today we have my good friend, Corin Woodmass. He is the FBA broker as my guest, and he's, we've been friends for a few years now, and I've gotten to know each other uh, for a little while, and I uh, really appreciate you coming on. And, and you're in Spain right now, is that right?
1: Yeah, I am. Thanks for having me on, Jeff. I appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. You live one of the coolest lives that uh, that I've encountered in the entrepreneur space, because you, you and your wife work together, right? And you guys just don't. You just travel from country to country continent to continent like it seems like every few months you just go to this new awesome place
1: it's it started out um simply just being a a nomad experiment and uh, now it's about i i usually say it's half for business half for pleasure so we have about half of our deal flow comes out of europe so mm. it pays to spend time in europe and the uk and about half roughly from the u.s so a lot of the pool is based in the u.s so we spend a lot of time in the u.s and uh, north america and also um over here in europe so yeah it's it's not a bad lifestyle sometimes it has its drawbacks but um the the biggest upside is if the weather turns and we don't like it we can just move somewhere else (laughs) (laughs) yep
0: that's so awesome are you gonna get to do anything fun in spain run with the bulls or uh, is there anything going on there
1: well, that's the downside. Um, while we do travel, we we actually work a ton. So we have we have the weekends mostly uh, to, to do some things. So we've, the next three weekends before we leave, we're hiring a car and just exploring around. We're in Valencia here. So this is our first time in Valencia. So we'll drive around and see some cool stuff around here. But yeah, nothing like running with the bulls. <laughs> I'm not sure I'd, I'd do that anymore. Maybe when I was younger, but not now. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, I did it in my early 20s and would uh,
1: would, not oh, well. it, would
0: not do it again, that's for sure.
1: <laughs> that was pretty dumb. <laughs> You're braver than me. <laughs> yeah,
0: stupider, I think, but uh, cool. <laughs> well, yeah, we're going to talk a lot about uh, selling a business and maximizing your value. Um, so we'll jump into that. But I wanted to say, do you remember we were both speaking at one of Ryan Moran's events? I think it was a capitalism conference, I believe and I spoke right before you, and then I was so excited to get off stage and relieved that I ran out of the room pretty much, and I had the clicker, the only clicker, for whatever yep, reason, in my pocket. you stole my clicker. And then you were on stage standing there for like, i seemed like five minutes from what I could tell, and then people chased me yep. down in the hallway and were like, Jeff, do you have the clicker? And then it was super <laughs> embarrassing, and uh, I felt pretty bad, but you didn't, you
1: didn't hold it against me, apparently. No, no, that was, it was pretty funny. <laughs> I just really didn't know what to do after that. <laughs> yeah, no, but that was cool. That, yeah, I'll I'll get you back next time. I'll get Ryan to put me on first, maybe. <laughs> oh, man.
0: That's funny. Yeah. Cool. So let's jump in. So give us a little bit of your background, like how you got to be selling businesses, you know, especially on, on the Amazon or e-commerce side. But how did you get there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I mentioned the Nomad experiment about seven, seven and a half years ago, my wife and I left Australia. Um, originally, the idea was to um, spend a year abroad and see if we liked traveling. Um, we definitely did. And um, we we were looking at, we both had corporate jobs and houses and all that sort of stuff in Australia. So we had a very typical life. Um when we left, we realized the um, the cost of living was much cheaper in different countries and we also liked traveling so the goal was to how to generate income to keep the the dream going so it's had some savings etc but it was really how do we how do we keep this thing going and i'd always been um, interested in online marketing and and digital marketing and different things and that was actually my last role in australia was in um, digital marketing so i started looking at different businesses to acquire and, and how could I grow them via marketing? And while I was looking at businesses to acquire, I was looking at offline businesses in the UK and things like this. I stumbled across online business sales and I realized the multiples were pretty um, good at the time. They were low. Um, there was a lot of buyer appetite for these type of assets. So I started buying, building and selling online assets myself. Um, built and sold an e-commerce business had a a whole portfolio of of online businesses so that's how I got my start Uh, what I realized though along the the road of doing this to getting to that point where there was more than enough income to cover our our travels and and more um, what what I realized was I didn't like operating the businesses I liked doing the deals and um, I spoke to I met a number of brokers through the um, the process, of course, a number of investors as well, and um, I realised that maybe my skill set is more around the the brokering of deals as opposed to acquiring and running the deals. So um, that's how I got started in the brokerage side. I'd actually sold an e-commerce business and took that cash and and started an Amazon business in the supplement space. So I had the Amazon experience, um, had the buying and selling experience. I'd been on both sides of the transactions, which is helpful. And um, I I knew a lot of people in the Amazon world that were were coming up and and doing quite well. So it was a good um, intersection. I could speak the language of the buyer and also the the seller. And um, that's when when I started the FBA Broker mid-2016.
0: Cool. So it probably helps a lot to, you know, have been in in the buyer's shoes or in the seller's shoes before. So a lot of these companies that you're working with, you know, you can relate to the problems that they're going through and can probably even help them. I bet sometimes they're not ready to sell quite yet, but you could probably help point out what they need to do.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's having both sides of, of transactions really helps. I can, and I have a, um, somewhat of an ability to take, complex concepts and make them um, easy to understand from the the seller side so i can say well here's what happens on the buy side and here's how that impacts you and here's how can we can think about that in planning your exit so that's my favorite part is when i actually get to work with clients a little bit earlier than just hey i'm, I'm ready to sell now if we can plan for an exit and do some exit planning and and put some things in place there's there's a massive upside on the other side of the the transaction and getting a better outcome all around
0: so let's talk first about if someone's interested in investing in or acquiring a business like where you got started from everything that you've learned like what should people look for if they're trying to acquire a business you know to either start a business or to supplement you know an existing business that they have
1: yeah i think um Acquisition is a really smart move. If if you have more capital than time, I think it's definitely something to consider. I wouldn't uh, buy to operate again, but that's just with my background and experience. I, I understand my strengths and weaknesses a lot better now than I did back then. So I'd do a, a stock take of what my skill set is, um, what my other opportunities are, and see if, if that's for me. Um, Actually, partnering with other people. Um, you know, there's there's great companies out there that can manage your Amazon presence for you. For example, we don't know anyone like that, but there's there's companies like that that can help you. Um, so partnering with people with experience, not necessarily 50/50 partners. Maybe they're a service provider. Maybe there's other leverage that you can bring to a deal. Um, I would look to bring leverage. I wouldn't just acquire what's already there and expect that to to grow or continue i'd want to bring in extra um, leverage to the deal that's if i was to go back to the buy side again um i'd definitely look at if i had more time than capital look at acquiring um, and i'd bring significant leverage to whatever it is i was looking to acquire
0: what's an example what do you mean by leverage exactly what are some examples of that
1: sure so we we have a deal we're negotiating right now where both we have two competing parties um pitching to buy this business uh, our clients business and they both have significant leverage so one has a ton of of retail connections and, and thousands of distribution points so if they take this product that is predominantly amazon and put it into their distribution network they get leverage in the form of more distribution so that should in in result in more revenue right and they also have the advantage on the the supply side that they manufacture these type of products so they can actually get margin on the or save margin on the um, just the production side alone Um, the other buyer is in a very similar position where they have the team in place and the partners in place to do essentially the same thing so they're bringing significant leverage and they can Outbid other buyers because they know what's going to happen next and for them It's still a great deal because they know they can go and put these products elsewhere and save save money um, Which makes them more profit, right? So yeah, that's that's what I would say is leverage
0: Gotcha. Does that have anything to do with because we were talking a little bit before about Sometimes you're you're working with strategic buyers versus non-strategic buyers or e-commerce buyers. So because they can value businesses very differently um, so mm. can you explain that a little bit more in depth?
1: Yeah. So if if you have an e-commerce business or any any vertical at all, um, but obviously we're mostly talking to e-commerce owners here. So you have an e-commerce business. If, if you go to sell that business, there's multiple pools of buyers that potentially could be interested in your business. The easiest to find buyer is an e-commerce buyer, an FBA buyer, right? And there are very standard multiples very standard deal structures um that are in those spaces so if you're looking if you have an fba business you're taking it to market and you're talking to fba buyers that all they're looking for most of them is an fba business they're not looking for a specific brand they're not looking for a specific niche they're not looking for say pets like you sold a pet brand so they're not looking for leverage in the pet space right if you On the flip side, if you can have a a brand that is in a specific vertical and has the right characteristics that appeals to these larger buyers, we talk about quality and size right, being the main things we need to appeal to these buyers, but they see value completely differently to a a standard e-commerce buyer.
0: Gotcha. So you're selling a lot of businesses. We talked about that and it's going really well, but how, what are like the current multiples, um, that you're seeing? You know, I know there's a lot of variables and factors. I sold a business multiple years ago, so I'm I'm curious how it's changed since, uh, since then.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So the, the multiples are really all over the map. So we do map and report we track, monitor, and report on the entire market. And what we're seeing below that million-dollar mark, a constant trend is, is multiples getting softer in those ranges, everything else being equal, especially if you're looking at that e-commerce buyer. Above that million, it's it's a mixed. But overall, it's it's pretty consistent above a million dollars. And here's, here's the secret, though, Jeff. Something we've, we've discovered about nine months ago is we don't actually put list prices on businesses anymore. (laughs) We let the market tell us what they think the business should be worth. We use our market data to support higher multiples, but for the most part, because of the type of businesses we're taking to market, we're seeing outsized multiples compared to e-commerce multiples. Um, Now, because we do report on this data, I can share that with your audience and they can take a look at our our latest data. but yeah, it really depends on the size of the business, um, the characteristics of the business. It could be anywhere from two times annual earnings up to five, six times annual earnings. It's a really wide, wide range.
0: Interesting. Cool. Yeah, I think mine was sold somewhere in the, in the middle of that. Uh I'd have to look back exactly. Perfect. Um
1: Oh good job. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. Um okay. <laughs> next i wanted to ask was so how, how does someone know when their business is sellable to anyone else i feel like some business owners and i felt this way early on was like no one would would want to buy this business that yes. that i was running right but then it got to a certain point i was like well maybe maybe someone did and then i talked to some people and they're like yeah that's definitely sellable so when, when is it when should people start thinking about that or recognizing when it might be sellable
1: that's a really good great way to think about it because a lot of times people say can i sell my business not when is the right time to sell my business and the the gift and the curse of say an amazon-based business or an e-commerce business specifically amazon let's talk about amazon businesses first a lot of the infrastructure is handled by amazon so you can run a seven eight figure revenue business with a really small staff you could have two or three people and you guys, right, helping run the business, and and you're good. So the the infrastructure is actually pretty light. So it's not like a traditional business. The 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 best time to sell a business in general terms is when you think you'd be crazy to sell it, Uh, when you're in hyper-growth mode, when you're really profitable, you're kicking off more cash than you can handle. (laughs) Things like these are really good signs that you're probably in the right spot. To think about selling the business and then it really depends on the business itself and the characteristics of that business. Um, things like product lifecycle come into play. Um, who's handling the day-to-day operations? Are you still doing all of that yourself? Depending on the size of the business, that can be a, a problem or it, can, it may not even matter, right? If it's a smaller business and someone's buying a job, might not matter. Um, but generally, you want to get out of the day-to-day At minimum, Um, you definitely want to be showing momentum. You want products that have longer life cycles that are improving over time. And an extra bonus is if you're in the same category, if you're appealing to the same target market, you have a strong brand like you did in the pet space. Let's say if you're only pets all the time, that's a great move. If you're an everything store, there's already an everything store, and that's Amazon, right? Um, If you're trying to be a a small everything store, it's not going to it's not gonna move well. Um, those type of businesses are just not as attractive as they used to be a few years ago.
0: Gotcha, so building a brand seems to carry a lot of weight. What are one or two other things that people should make sure they try to have in place to increase the sellability and the value of their business?
1: Yeah, so there's there's almost, um, seasons when it comes to launching a business especially from scratch so in the amazon world it's it's very compressed but we see this over and over again so the first year or two we see most clients are just trying to figure out their niche they're trying to figure out what's selling what's profitable and the next year or two is really doubling down on what's working and expanding out that product line and maintaining or getting a foothold in that in that niche And then doubling down on that. And then the last year before you go to sell is if you're wanting to sell at that point is optimizing for profit, which is a tricky balance because you still want to make sure the business is growing. So it's, it really depends which season you're in and that can dictate when is the the right time to sell. Sometimes we see people that go too far the other way. So they're optimizing for profit because they want to take cash out of the business and then they take their foot off the gas and the business starts to decline and then they think, oh, I should sell this now before it goes to zero. That's a horrible time to sell the business. So it depends what season you're in. Um, also depends on what's next. So something we've seen as a constant trend that buyers love to see in, in these seven, eight figure ranges is when you're needing more capital to grow, but you're restricted. So you're selling well, you have good margins, but you know that if you could just get access to more capital, you could expand and grow into a much larger business. That's a really good sign. Um, Some of our clients, for example, they have lines of credit that are just getting uncomfortable, right? They're personally guaranteeing these deals. Maybe it's a couple million dollars in line of credit That's, that can keep you up at night, right? Especially if you're just on Amazon. So these type of things are usually good problems to have. But you really wanna watch your margins. If, if you're highly profitable, And like I said before, if your business is kicking off more cash that you need to keep reinvesting, that can be a good indicator that maybe this is a good time to sell because investors are really looking for return on capital, right? They're they're looking, there's a lot of businesses available for sale and they want to know that if they put money into buying your business, the secondary investment which is in your products is going to give them the highest rate of return possible compared to the other deals on the market so thinking like an investor in your own products your own brand is really important when it comes to when to go sell the business
0: so i'm thinking back to when i sold the pet products company a few years ago and we we probably had phone calls with six different interested buyers who were you know going to place an offer or did place an offer and one of the big questions they had was who's going to be running the business after. So that, like sometimes they had their own team in place so they could kind of build the, that business into it and add it onto to their products and brands. But most of the buyers didn't have a team or infrastructure. So they were concerned about, you know, did I have a team that could stay with the business? So is that a big future that people should try to make sure is in place um, and to open up to more buyers or?
1: it depends on the size of the business actually and um, we see that being less of a concern the larger the business is but on the flip side of that usually there's people in place if you're running a 20 million dollar a year business there's usually some people in place so as a broad overall statement if your business can afford the staff you should definitely hire the staff to operate the business at minimum things that aren't necessary as far as uh, it would be a nice to have and would definitely move the needle on on what your business could be worth is the strategy level thinking about the business and that's usually the last thing that's outsourced or replaced in any business is the founder's vision for the business and the strategy on the business most investors coming in will think that they have a pretty good strategy or they've researched a strategy that they want to Deploy with your business. Uh, But yeah, like you said, the day to day is definitely a a plus when it comes to selling the business.
0: And then, so when selling the business, I've heard and seen that, uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of our listeners have 99 or 100% of their sales on Amazon. So, speak to when you have two channels like Shopify or retail versus just being Amazon only, how much more of a value and how much more attractive and sellable is that business when you have multi-channel?
1: It depends on a couple of things. One is the size of that revenue as compared to your overall revenue. So typically it needs to be 20, 30% plus per channel to move the needle on a multiple. However, retail, it's interesting you brought up retail. Um, So let me give you some examples. If you have a website, where you're generating traffic and you know your things that direct-to-consumer companies know. So you know your cost of acquisition, you know your lifetime value of a customer, all of these numbers you, you have. If you have that, you've got something that's worth more if it's a higher percentage of revenue. So if that was 50% of your revenue and you knew, you knew your numbers and could say, if I invested $100,000, here's what would happen. That's a great spot to be in. If, however, and this actually happened on a deal we worked on recently, they had 20% on retail and it was growing. However, a lot of those retail accounts were fairly new and only some of them had reordered. Some of them hadn't had a chance to reorder. So they didn't know if they'd sell through. They didn't know if there's reorders. They didn't know how many refunds there would be. So even though it was a decent percentage and growing of the business, it didn't have enough history to give the buyers more confidence to pay an even higher multiple. We got a very good multiple for that business. It was a mid seven figure deal. Um, everyone's happy all around on that strategic buyer and, and the seller are both happy, but it would have been much higher if there was more history in that in that retail channel. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, I'm trying to think back. We had a really small percentages of non-Amazon sales, but the, that particular buyer was attracted to that they at least liked that we had started the process we had gotten set up on walmart.com we had set up the shopify store and they were very early on and so we could show them hey we've only been doing this for three months but at least we we did the legwork to get it going and the opportunity is there for you so i think that that did help at least secure the sale maybe it didn't boost the multiple a ton but sometimes i think that can really help boost the sale depending on the buyer
1: yeah absolutely yeah it's it's something that is definitely worth doing um but we see a lot of people a lot of clients for example they they hear this on a podcast and they'll say oh we need to diversify revenue um one real example the um they didn't end up working with us we we had some interactions with them um, what happened was they said i want to build my off amazon channel and they focused on their website. They invested sixty or seventy thousand dollars in a twelve month period to get their website sales happening. The net result of that was thirty thousand dollars in revenue hmm. on seventy thousand in spend. Um, so you really want to make sure that you 're managing those numbers and tracking your numbers so that you can effectively and profitably grow that channel, not just through money against the wall and hope that it sticks, especially if you're looking to sell in the next six to 12 months, you're probably better off doubling down on Amazon if it's a shorter window. So I often look at um, timeframes to sell or exit planning in short, short, medium, and long-term buckets. So a short-term bucket, probably new channels aren't your thing. If it's three to six months out, don't look at a new channel. Look at optimizing what you already have. If it's 12 months out, really focus on your profit because every month forward improves your trailing 12 months profit. If you've got two, three years or five years, then you can really start looking at other channels and maybe taking a few bigger bets because you don't need to worry about the profit being hit as much um, because you have a longer window.
0: Yeah, that's really, really good advice. So how long would you... Say in an ideal world or even just an average world like at a minimum people should start planning for the exit you know is it a year is it you know as soon as you start your business or what's the what would you recommend
1: well i'm a deal nerd and i live in in deal making land so i would i would only go into something if i knew what the exit looked like (laughs) Um, back when i had my portfolio of of online businesses each and every month we'd do our books and I'd know what multiples each, each deal was sitting at. So I know I knew where my value was each and every month. So that helped me know what, knew when to sell my e-commerce business, uh, when the different changes were happening with Google, et cetera, how that was actually impacting my value and how to think and strategize longer term. Cause I always wanted to know what the asset, each asset was worth. So I would do it constantly.
0: Wow, yeah, that's that's crazy to be on that on top of it from from month one, um, but yeah, I think yep. that's what everyone should strive for. And if you don't have it, you know, start start getting that process in place now, right? Get getting your numbers and your books cleaned up is probably that was one of the first things I really had to do when I started the approaching the selling process.
1: Yeah, absolutely. With with my business right now, I have a CFO, um, a fractional CFO that helps me with my books, right? Even though I have that mindset, I don't have the time to do it myself. So you're probably thinking, well, yeah, that's that's a someday task. Even get someone fractionally to come in and and help you. When you have that third-party person uh, looking at your business, it gives you a lot more insight cuz you're in that day-to-day all the time, right? You need someone with perspective to help you. And yeah, there's definitely do that as soon as you can afford it cool so i saw
0: on your website i think it was you have a fba business scorecard how does that how does that work yes.
1: yeah so what i wanted to do was build a resource for someone with an fba business to figure out how their business compares to other businesses that are selling so it's a it's a simple scorecard so you can look at the different grids and we've given some examples of different phases of a business and to see where you sit and it gives you a score at the end and there's a video of me walking you through how this actually um works out so you can go to fbascorecard.com and and check that out Um, and any feedback let me know we're constantly trying to improve this but um i wanted some a way for people to have a look without having to put their hand up and ask Right. It's it's kind of it's a very personal thing. Your business, it's it's your baby. You've built it from nothing, right? Is <laughs> having someone else say it's not the best business in the world is not the uh, the approach. It's more here's here's what the market looks like. Here's what success we've had on different deals, and here's more importantly how investors view value and. Uh, assign value so it's a good way just to run your business through and see where you sit right now and it also gives you some ideas of where to focus on next can you explain the difference
0: between like i know there's a lot of different options when you go to sell a business there's brokers there's investment bankers there's so many different titles you know and i don't, I don't even know what all that they mean and i'm sure most people don't so can you give us a quick you know rundown on on the difference there Or maybe it depends on what level you're at i don't know
1: yeah, absolutely. So there's when it comes to selling an e-commerce business, there's a lot of options. There's auction sites, there's marketplaces, there's business brokers, investment bankers, M&A advisors, right? And like you said, there's all these titles that just come out of nowhere. Um, essentially, I, I like to refer to real estate a lot because there's there's a few parallels, not 100%, but there's a few. And one of them is the real estate agent approach, um, which is their real estate agent, all they're wanting to do is list as many business, as many uh, properties as they can. So the average business broker will list as many businesses as they can. And they often talk about, hey, I have 100 listings, I have 40,000 buyers or whatever it might be, right? And if you have a an average e-commerce business or a small e-commerce business, that's really what you're looking for. You just want exposure. You want those e-commerce buyers that just want an e-commerce business. And that'll probably get the deal done, right, with varying uh, results. If you have something more specific that is a little bit larger, that's a, a more of a tight brand that could go in and become a larger business, you may look at someone like a sell-side advisor, which is how we operate. So what we do is that's different. Even though we have broker in the, in the title, uh, we don't operate like a business broker. What we do is we work with each client to figure out exactly where the business is now. So we do a lot of business analysis on the front end and exit planning to see if the business is ready to go to market. And we look at, we drill into the business. It takes three to four weeks to even do that initial analysis with us. And then we have that frank conversation. We say, here's how an investor would view your business right now. The good, the bad, the ugly. And we say, well, here, if you go to market now, here's what the outcomes likely to be. If we don't go to market now, here's the things we could focus on, or it might be. And this is rare, but sometimes. We can't, go to biz- we can't go sell the business right now and here's why, right? So we do that work up front. And the reason we do that work up front is because we've seen so many deals fall apart in diligence that it made me frustrated because my whole goal, and as we started this, I've been on both sides of the transaction, right? I want to make sure that each and every client we work with, we get the best outcome possible. That's my entire goal. So we don't list a hundred businesses at a time. We launch one deal at a time and our whole team focuses on maximizing the result for that client. And we also don't work with buyers. We have buyers on our list. Absolutely. We, I'm friends with a lot of our buyers, but we don't work for them. And they all know that we're here to maximize the result for our client being the seller, as opposed to just getting a deal done. So there's reasons to use both, but that's our approach and it's not for everyone we need size we need quality right so as we were talking about before the call or before we hit record here you know, really for our process to to have an impact we need about a million in earnings free cash flow in the business and above for this approach to actually have a meaningful impact on the net result being the higher highest multiple best deal terms we need something to work with we can't layer this approach on to a small everything store it's just not going to have the same result as much as i'd love to say i could sell anything it's not actually the case
0: (laughs) yeah i really like that approach i mean it's very honest and makes sense to me so let's take home what's one like action item if you could leave someone with a tip you know if they're trying to set their business up for sale one day what's just like one action step that they you know need to do this year to make sure that they're setting themselves up for success
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned this on your preparing to sell episode where you said, go and talk to as many brokers, advisors, different people that you can talk to. Talk to people that have sold their business. Talk to people that are thinking about selling. Talk to buyers. Um, I have a podcast called Truth About Exits. I interview a lot of investors on that that show and I I dig into deal terms, et cetera. Maybe a little bit too far if you're not ready to sell just yet but do do your homework Craig. this this could be a meaningful exit a lot of our clients have life-changing fu money out of their exit so this this can be worth spending some time on to make sure you get that outcome you're looking for and at the very minimum just be aware of what your options are and keep in touch with the market. have a look at what 's for sale. Uh, a lot of the brokers and marketplaces have email lists, so jump on an email list. go have a look at what 's out there. Um, when I started um, I got some advice when I first started on the buy side, which was to look at a hundred deals before buying the first one i didn 't make it to a hundred <laughs> don 't make my mistake go go see a lot of deals, go kick the fences. Uh, kick the trees whatever the shake the trees that's that's what i was looking for um just go and see what's happening in the market be be present and start planning for that exit well beforehand and get help you know find find advisors that can work with you that can help with your numbers like if you're not great with numbers get someone to help you with that if you're wanting a a professional exit plan go talk to people that exit plan we do that we could potentially help with that and um, talk to a lot of people. And like we were saying before we hit record as well, I want you to go and talk to a lot of different brokers and and see who you gel with. You know, you, our approach may not work for you. We may not get along. That's OK. There's other options out there. I just want you to get the best result for you um, when it comes to to sell the business. And you need to do a bit of prep work for that to be the outcome.
0: Awesome, man. So where can people find you if they want to get a hold of you or contact your company?
1: Yeah, sure. So our website is thefbabroker.com and there's a ton of resources there. Um, I'm sure we'll link to that in the, the show notes here. So yeah, that's the best place to to reach out. Um, the other way is sales at thefbabroker.com. That's our um, help desk email. So you can email in with any questions or um, ask for any, any links to resources. We'd be happy to help you, help out as best we can.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you for the time, man. Always good to catch up and I hope you all enjoy this episode.
1: A big thank you to Corin
0: Woodmass for coming on the show today. He is the FBA broker and that was so awesome to get to pick his brain for a little while. I hope that you all learned some really, really great tips for how to plan for a big exit one day, whether it's in a year or whether it's in five years. I think we all learned that you need to start planning early and getting those things in place because a lot of them do take time and it will increase the sellability of your business so thank you for coming on and then we kind of talked about it but one of the biggest mistakes that we see people make is that when they come time to sell they either don't have the team in place or they don't have the systems in place because oftentimes a lot of buyers when they're buying a business they want to know okay well i want this make sure this business is going to keep running just the same as you know when you were running it and so um two ways that turnkey can help with that is that one if you you know that's the benefit of hiring an agency like turnkey to manage your business especially before selling your business because that agency can can stay in place if the buyer wants to keep us on and so they're like wow okay you already have a company running amazon awesome and so that's one thing that can happen it's a really really great smooth transition for you but if the company has their own team and they don't need the agency, then you know we're okay with stepping down at that point because you need to make the best decision for your business and so do they, and we understand that. So that's one benefit of the agency. And then, um, so if you're interested in possibly doing full service management or if you need just like the systems and the SOPs to help train your team with coaching or any of those, Uh, offerings and resources that we have just head over to turnkeyproductmanagement.com and thank you so much for listening to this episode i hope that you learned a whole lot and uh, let us know how you liked it bye